1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: Look at what is taking place here. Verse 8, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And that pictures they're not missing anything, them seeing everything. And night and day, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. Different, different, different
1: Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith continues with the Future Grace series, an in-depth study of the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to Revelation chapter 4. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
2: Father, we thank you for this opportunity to look into the throne room of the Most High God in Revelation 4 and 5 and to be changed by what we see and what we learn. Father, we are just thankful, Lord. Uh, We want to be attentive. We want to learn from you. We want to see your glory at some level and respond to it, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty, well if you want to turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4, we're going to cover 4 and 5 uh, this week, and 6 and 7 and part of 8 next week, and so you want to be strapped in and ready to go. Please be reading ahead as we've talked about before, but today I'd like to talk to you about a quote I heard read read during my devotions last week. And I I hunted it down because I really thought it typifies a lot of what we see today in the world around us. And there's a gentleman named Gordon Dahl. I don't know what his spiritual condition is. I don't know where he stands in light of eternity, but he has a PhD out of Princeton. He has his PhD in economics. He is based in La Jolla, California at the University of California, San Diego. And this quote has been used by the likes of Philip Riken, Chuck Swindoll, Donald Whitney, And now me. And uh, it says this We worship our work. We work at our play. And we play at our worship. And I think that sums up our culture today and often the so called uh, world of evangelicism. And this is the antithesis of what God intended and the antithesis of what we see in chapters four and five. And so today, we want to discuss worship as God intended. Uh, as Christ intended, and we want to see worship. We want to observe and take in worship in the throne room of God. And as we're going to see, it's overwhelming. Uh, As we read earlier in Psalm 100, it's an all-encompassing, all-in kind of thing. And so with this in mind, let's turn our attention to the book of Revelation. Today's message is entitled "In In the Throne Room and Overwhelmed by Worship, Our passage is Revelation 4 and 5. If you're with us today for the first time, we are studying what many consider, and certainly what I consider, the happiest book of the Bible. And why is that? Because it gives us understanding of all that came before in the other 65 books. Revelation is a book that Is the uh, final punctuation mark of the scriptures and it ties up loose ends. It draws together all the themes of the Old and New Testament with finality because there's no new revelation coming. And what it gives us is good news and very good news indeed. That is, Jesus wins, suffering ends, prejudice ends, sin ends, evil is defeated, and our hope and faith becomes sight. And that is why it is among the happiest books of the Bible. Now, Having said all that, a lot of people struggle with the book of Revelation. Many are confused by its symbolism, uh, they have misgivings, they, they, are, they wrestle with it, and they just don't take time to read it. A lot of Christians haven't never read Revelation all the way through. Some are af- afraid to, uh, but you have to remember this, when Revelation was written, it was written to be read and understood by the people of that day. It was to be read by both slaves and nobility, the educated and the less educated. It was intended to be heard and understood by everybody. And why was that? Because they just looked at the text. They listened to the text and they said, what do the words say? What do the words mean? And how then shall we live? And that's a very good approach indeed. You know, you just take a common sense reading of the text and understand its flow of thought, the discourse. And there may be things that are hard to pick up on and some things that can be distracting. We referred to those in the previous weeks as shiny objects that shouldn't distract us away. But remember this, when you read Revelation, any sense of the text that doesn't make sense should not be reinterpreted with with anything but common sense. You need to take a common sense, natural reading of the text. And that's our approach, and there's a reason for that, because that's the approach that Jesus models in the New Testament. We talked about this before in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 and 26. We have this interaction between Jesus and a lawyer. And it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he, Jesus, said to him, what is written? What is written in the law? How do you read it? And so Jesus asked us by extension as those reading those those words, how do we read the scriptures? What do we see there? And that's why we read it. What does the text say? What does the text mean? What then shall we do? You don't want to read into the text. You want to read from the text. And the text is to inform your understanding of the word and will of God. So let's pick up in Revelation chapter 4 with this under, understanding. Our message again is in the throne room and overwhelmed by the worship. It is Revelation 4 and 5 and it begins like this. After this, I stop right there. After what? After what we read in chapters 1, 2 and 3. Chapter 1 was the glorified Christ John, seeing him, chapters two and three were were the letters, particularly written, uh, the message in this larger letter to seven particular churches. And so it's, it's almost like a summary after this. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, remember the first voice he heard in chapter one, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat on the throne had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. Jasper is sort of a, trans- these are rubies or, or, or precious stones with a kind of a red hue. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. So this is nothing like we've ever seen on earth because this rainbow is of a light green view, hue. And around the throne were 24 thrones. Seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. These are individuals in authority of some kind. They have a white, the white symbolizes their purity, the crowns symbolize their authority. And what you begin to see here is something like we've never seen on earth, something like John has never seen. And it also calls to mind Ezekiel uh, chapter 1, uh, Daniel chapter 7, and uh, Isaiah chapter 6. You're going to see this play out more and more as you work through this. And he's, he's only describing what's already been described by others in some other sense. And he describes a theophany. What is a theophany? It's God taking a visible form of some kind. Okay, back to to Revelation chapter four. Let's look at verses five through seven. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, and around the throne, on each side, are four living creatures, full of eyes, in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion, the second living creature, like an ox, the third living creature, with the face of a man, and the fourth lo- living creature, like an eagle in flight. And these are the seraphim in Isaiah chapter 6. And again, John is seeing this otherworldly vision, and he is attempting, struggling, uh, endeavoring to describe what he sees in human terms. And like Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel before him, he's overwhelmed by what he sees because he's seeing creatures like you don't see on earth. He's seeing things that don't happen here. And it is overwhelming as he begins to see the pure glory of God in a way that he's not known it before. And if you're not careful, you can be distracted by the shiny objects. Uh, Usually they come with an explanation. The seven torches, which are the seven spirits of God. The seven lampstands, which are the seven churches. But what you don't want to do is miss the point of the passage. You want to stay focused on the flow of the discourse. Which brings us to verse 8. Look at what is taking place here. Verse 8, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. That picture's, they're not missing anything, them seeing everything. And night and day, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, 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 different, different, different is the eternal God. and by your will, they existed and were created. Everything owes its existence to God. He is worthy of it, every, everyone and everything's worship. And that word worship comes from an English term, worthship. Okay. Chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, so what's, this is a scroll, uh, in, in Roman times, uh, a deed or a title deed or a will or, or, or a message, if it was intended for one person and one person only, it was sealed, written before on the front and back. They conserved paper and the, or, or whatever they wrote on those days, vellum or whatever. Seven seals meant that it was eyes only for the intended recipient, uh, authorized personnel only, you might say empowered to read and act on the contents. It is not intended to be trifled with. It was a legal document, and if you opened that document, you weren't supposed to. You were in a world of hurt, as they say. Verse two, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it, either or. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So no ordinary human, no fallen sinful human could open it. No angel in heaven could open it, but Christ could. That is the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. You're going to see this. This is Christ, uniquely qualified, uniquely empowered, uniquely worthy to open it. Then what? Let's watch and see. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and don't miss this, and among the elders... I saw a lamb standing. We talked about this before. He who walks among the seven lampstands, God with us, Emmanuel, right? Jesus here in his deity and yet his humanity is identifying with the human race. He is seated among the 24 elders. And it says, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now you could stop right there and try to figure out what all that means. I've been looking at this for about 40 hours now and I still don't know what it means, okay? But don't let it distract you from what is going on here in the text. And I mean, you can go look at 20 commentaries. They don't know what it means, okay? But verse seven cannot be missed. And he went, and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Now notice what is going on here. He took the scroll from the right hand of the Father, of the right hand of God. That means that he had the ability, the authority, and the power to reach out and take that. You know, a lot of times, this is the first indication among many that it's so overwhelmingly obvious that if you don't understand the deity of Christ you have missed the whole gospel and the whole Bible. Because he is, he is approaching the throne of God as an equal and he is reaching out and taking that scroll and it only gets better from here. But don't miss this because I tell you what if you don't understand Christ as God you don't understand Christianity and it is the difference between heaven and hell. Verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. They're going to worship him, each holding a harp and seven bowls of incense, which are, here's a shiny object which explains itself, seven bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So they are going to direct the prayers of the saints, as it were, toward the lamb. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood ransomed people from God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. So they're ascribing the same worthiness to the lamb that they have to him who sits on the throne. Verse 11, then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Same kind of worship here for the lamb is for the father. Look at verse 13, unless you don't understand this. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, they are giving it all they have here. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever again this is about worship and they are worshiping the father and the son equally to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever this reminds me of john chapter 5 where jesus is saying You know, to say, if you don't honor me, you don't honor the Father. And if you honor the Father, you honor me because I only do what my Father has been doing for all eternity. I only do what I see him doing with the same ability. Jesus has always claimed to be God throughout the New Testament. And here, that whole claim is authenticated by the seraphim and the 24 elders. They are worshiping Jesus as God with the same honor, the same fervor, the same intensity, the same reverence, and the icing on the cake, as it were, is in verse 14, and the four living creatures, the heavenly creatures, who aren't human, said, amen, we believe, that amen, amin, whether it's in Hebrew or Greek, means I believe, I affirm, and the elders fell down, and what, they worshiped. In total agreement between angels and men, Jesus is God. He is God the Son, not just the Son of God. And He and the Father are to be worshiped as one. So, you see all this going on. And what is it that you see here? What is it that we are witnessing here? And in a word, it's worship. It's worship. It's worship of those overwhelmed and blessed and challenged by the glory and the grace and the power and the purity and the majesty of the Most High God, the triune God. And so we have entitled this message In the Throne Room and Overwhelmed by the Worship. And looking here at heavenly worship, what I want to do is really grasp four characteristics of the kind of worship that your God and mine, that our God, the only God that is, deserves. And so I wanted to walk you through four characteristics that we distill and derive from this passage so that you can begin to strive to apply it in your own life, so that you can work at your worship, not play at it so that you can approach worship the way that you and I, all of us, need to do it. And the first characteristic is this. Worship in the throne room is overwhelmed and overwhelming. God's glory and majesty is to be savored, responded to, taken in. The glorified Christ, the otherworldliness, the unearthly majesty of him who sits on the throne you look at this scene through john's eyes and you can see that he's overwhelmed look at verse 2 in chapter 4 at once i was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow with the appearance of an emerald Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the throne were 24 elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Verse 6 And before the throne there was, if it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And then you look at, and there were four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And then he describes them and they're nothing like we see on earth because pure worship, pure worship, the worship that God deserves is rarely found here. And and, and we see this day and night, they never cease to say, these creatures with eyes all around them, front and back, who miss nothing, who see everything. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. What John sees and what we read is the definition of otherworldly worship.
1: Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org.